This is a 980 CKNW podcast. Well, you might have your morning coffee with you right now. You've likely heard the stories about a couple of Tim Hortons restaurants in Ontario and the reaction following the rise of the minimum wage going to $14 an hour and scheduled to go to $15 an hour next January. Uh, The one in Coburg getting a lot of attention also because of the owners of the franchise, the descendants of the heirs or the heirs to uh, the Tim Hortons founders who uh, happened to get married, which makes it uh, a much uh, more interesting story. But a lot of people saying that uh, they're not in favour of how the owners of that franchise dealt with the wage hike. Well, joining me to talk a bit more about this and his take on things is Douglas P. Wellbanks, a former director of debtor assistance and debt collection for the B.C. government. He's also penned several books and has written about this very issue in the Georgia Strait. Uh, Douglas, thank you so much for spending some time with us this morning. And thank you for the invitation. Uh, what is your response? And I know you've written about this in the Georgia Strait. Uh, when you first heard about uh, this particular franchise in Coburg, and I know there's another one now that's making news headlines in Scarborough, what is your response to what's happening? Well, I was shocked to think that, you know, in this day and age, that we would be treating people living on such low incomes, basically the working poor, being treated this way. It's very aggressive. But even shocked, even though we've been hearing from small business owners leading up to this, not only in Ontario, but also in B.C., saying if you go through with this idea of a $15 minimum wage, there are going to be changes made. Well, I think that's one perspective, and that's the most ubiquitous one we see from the media. But what we don't really see is that the richest one-fifth of the population account for 40% of the annual incomes and 69% of the accumulated wealth. And basically, so we're seeing, you know, millionaires that own uh, Canada's wealth. It's, this is a wealthy country. And it might make you wonder why it is so many people have to fight so hard for a minimum wage. Uh, But does it make a difference to you that we're talking about, in this particular case of the Tim Hortons in Coburg, we're talking about millionaire owners. That's certainly not the case of small businesses everywhere. A lot of small businesses are owned by people who who, uh, get by on what they make. They're certainly not millionaires. No, I know, but that's part of the economic puzzle, is that, of course, you know, the wealthiest people have all the money, And everybody else, and there's lots of small businesses that I'm one too, thank you very much, that that struggle with all the basic costs, just like the the employees. So I'd like to draw attention to this aspect of our society. Canada used to be a very um, much more uh, democratically uh, organized economically. I mean, since the 1970s, for an example, and debt, I think the, the level of debt for Canadians, you know, is is also shocking and staggering. And that gets missed in terms of what's really happening to Canada economically. So, for an example, in 1975, the total national uh, or the total consumer debt for um, Canadians, excluding mortgages, which means uh, credit cards and car loans and lines of credit, was at $20 billion. And in 1980, it was $40 billion. In, in uh, 1990, it was $100 billion. In the year 2000, it was $187 billion. And today, it's $600 billion. 
So gradually, each and every year since the 1970s, um, let's call it the middle class, has been borrowing more and more each and every year and owning less. So yes, no, I, uh, my comments are not against small businesses. I mean, it's basically in favor of, of governments, which basically I think have allowed this to happen, to take another look and say, okay, this this is like affordable housing. Why is it that people can't afford to buy a house, you know, in a wealthy country like Canada? But isn't some of the increased debt also a bit of a shift in that we've had record low interest rates for several years? And there does seem to be a bit of a mind shift from a generation that paid cash for everything to a generation that is much more comfortable borrowing. Yeah, well, that's that's part of the credit-funded affluence I mentioned in my article, that, you know, for all of these 40 years, you know, we've been thinking that we're getting better off. We have nice cars and we have all kinds of material objects and, uh, you know, a society that worships success over anything else materially. But at the same time, you know, we're we're owning less, basically, in the sense of having so much debt. And, and of course, this can... Um, can explode and and wipe out, you know, millions of people, you know, economically. So, you know, I think that's what we have to, we have to put things into perspective. And yes, by all means, uh, small businesses uh, need help just as much as uh, the workers and their families, the 350 that are now unemployed, um, you know, from somebody, shall we say, governments. And I think that's what the Premier of Ontario has done, has sort of responded, but perhaps not comprehensively. You're absolutely right. You can't just go and point the finger at one thing and that's going to create a domino effect on everybody else. And yes, that's true. I mean, um, but I'd like to see things change for everybody, small business and the lower spectrum of our economic ladder. Uh, you write as well that this uh, is uh, could spell a renewal for unionization. Do you think that we will see a, a resurgence or perhaps more of a push for unionization? Well, I'm just referring historically. I mean, when you have uh, employers uh, doing things like this, just punitively uh, responding, and in this case, it's government policy, <laughs> um, you know, that's sort of an arrogant uh, move, which basically created um, the union movement back in the 1900s. And, you know, I mean, you know, that's what what kind of started it off. I mean, you have to respect, you know, the workers. You have to respect their rights. And um, But as I say, it's not just one issue here. There's several. And, you know, it would be nice to see our governments respond. And I think, you know, Premier Wynne, could maybe do more than just for the workers at Tim Hortons or at the lower end of the economic spectrum. They, they, they need to take a look at everybody's share of the economic pie in Canada. All right. Well, Douglas, we'll have to leave it there. We're out of time. But thank you so much again for being available for us this morning. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you. That is uh, Douglas 
P. Wellbanks. If you want to read his take on this, he has a piece, a guest piece in the Georgia Strait. We're going to continue this conversation when we come back, uh, talking about some of the reaction to the minimum wage hike in Ontario and what we've seen at Tim Hortons there, what it could lead to in this province. We'll check in with the BC Federation of Labour when we return. Just before the break, we were talking about the story out of Coburg in Ontario about the Tim Hortons uh, that clawed back some of the benefits after the minimum wage was increased. Uh, we are also hearing about uh, one in Scarborough, uh, workers, uh, the headline, this is in uh, the Toronto Star saying workers banned from accepting tips after the wage hike. Well, joining us now to talk a bit more about this is Irene Lansinger with the BC Federation of Labour. Irene, thanks so much for being with us. Good morning, Jill. Good morning. Uh, what's your response to what we're seeing uh, happening with uh, the wage hike and the response, uh, particularly with Tim Hortons in Ontario? Well, I, it's not the interesting thing about the story from Coburg was that the owners of the Tim Hortons couldn't be reached because they were in their house in Florida. And I just thought that was telling. Uh, you know, we have these owners who are very wealthy, related to the original founders of Tim Hortons, and... You know, they're angry with the government, I assume, for raising the minimum wage, a move, of course, that we completely agree with. Uh, And they take it out on their workers, people who are working for eleven sixty an hour and have their wage raised to $14 an hour. I mean, I guess my first response was I'd like to see those two owners live on eleven sixty an hour or even $14 an hour. Clearly, there's this enormous wage gap we have and uh, an equality gap. Some The rich are getting richer and the poor are not doing very well. One of the ways to mitigate that is with higher minimum wages. And so I completely applaud uh, the Ontario government for going to a $15 minimum wage at, or for, at 15 next January, 14 this January. And I thought the Premier's response was also appropriate. She referred to it as bullying. Uh, So should the financial status of small business owners then dictate what they pay their workers? No, I'm not really arguing that. Um, And I do have some sympathy for small business owners. I don't consider Tim Hortons as a corporate franchise quite in the same category as genuine uh, business owners. And I think the franchisees have some legitimate arguments uh, that they have been raising with Tim Hortons. But let's face it, Tim Hortons runs ads based on these family values, Canadian values. Uh, and it's not a Canadian value to let workers work full-time and live in poverty. And that's what Tim Hortons has been doing. That's what franchise owners have been doing. If franchise owners feel that they're not able to raise um, you know, the costs, uh, raise prices and that they're really squeezed, that's an issue they need to take up with Tim Hortons. Tim Hortons is a huge entity making big profits, and they're making those profits by paying people poverty wages, and that's not fair. It's not a Canadian value to do that. Uh, but many of the small business owners, and I get uh, saying that a Tim Hortons franchise might be different than another small business, uh, they're not millionaires. They're not people who are off uh, in their uh, their warm homes uh, during the winter. And they have been warning, saying that should there be such a big jump in minimum wage, there is going to be a reaction to it like what we're seeing in Ontario. Yeah, and I don't think that reaction is appropriate. Um, it. it you know, $15 an hour is slightly above the poverty line. 
And I have some sympathy for small business owners who face the same kinds of affordability issues that others face, like the cost of property, the rent cost in, in British Columbia. Those affect both employees and employers. And so I have some sympathy for small business owners on some of those issues. But I have much more sympathy for a single mom working for a salary of 12 or $13 an hour, trying to raise her kids on poverty wages. That is an issue we must address. And we have to address those issues by raising wages, by having a child care program, by addressing issues of rent and the cost of housing. We have to address those issues. We cannot say, too bad, small business owners are struggling, so we're going to continue to pay people poverty wages forever. That's just not the right response. The right response is to have decent wages, to address issues of affordability, to assist small business owners if they're struggling. But frankly, it's a poor business plan to pay poverty wages. We're seeing small businesses and other businesses complain about their inability to hire workers. Well, of course, they're having a hard time hiring workers because we have relatively low unemployment. And if someone's earning $13 an hour and they have an opportunity for a job at 15 they're moving. And that's why people are struggling to find uh, workers. When you talk about, about the fact that they've been letting workers work in poverty, though, is it not also a poor business plan to think that you are going to have a job that requires no education that many people do as a part-time job through high school and raise a family on it? Well, you know, the, the people who oppose the minimum wage like to imply uh, that everybody working for less than $15 an hour is a kid living in their parents' basement. And it's just not true. Uh, we have almost 500,000 people in British Columbia working for less than $15 an hour. That is fully 25% of our work, employed workforce. It, it's not, it's, it's moms, it's dads. It is some kids for sure, but some of those kids are, are trying to put themselves through school where tuition rates have skyrocketed and, and they're struggling too. So just as we can't judge a business owner and how much money they have, we shouldn't be judging who's working for less than $15 an hour and implying that they're all kids living in their parents' basement and don't need decent wages because that's just not true. It's just not the reality for many workers in British Columbia. But aren't you judging the business owners in the Coburg, Ontario case by the first thing you said was, here's a rich couple that are away, they couldn't be reached because they're at their vacation home. I point that out because I think it uh, indicates something that's happening in our society, and that is that the wealth gap has increased tremendously. We have a far more unequal society than we had in the 70s and the 80s. The gap between rich and poor has increased in the last 30 and 40 years. I think that's an enormous social problem that we have to deal with because the result of that is that one in five children in this province grows up in poverty, and we all pay for that. We pay for that in education outcomes, in health outcomes, in outcomes in the criminal justice system. We pay for it in the social services that we have to provide because, on average, all of those outcomes are worse for kids who grow up in poverty, not to mention the fact that it's heartbreaking to imagine those children growing up in poverty. I have a background as a teacher. I've seen firsthand the result of kids growing up in poverty. So that 
income gap, that wealth gap, the fact that we let one in five children grow up in poverty in this province is a social issue we must address. That is the true Canadian value. It is that we should not let any child grow up in poverty in this province. All right, uh, Irene, we're out of time, but thank you so much. I appreciate uh, you being on the show this morning. Thank you. Thank you, Jill. That is Irene Lansinger, BC Federation of Labour. Uh, I agree. We shouldn't have children living in poverty. And I often question why people put their children in that position. What are your thoughts on this? Uh, the idea or what we're seeing at the Tim Hortons in Ontario, what we might see uh, in BC. You can give the Buzz line a call, 604-331-BUZZ. That is 604-331-2899. Leave me a voicemail message or you can text the line as well. You've been listening to a 980 CKNW podcast. Listen live at cknw.com, the Radio Player Canada app, Tune in, Amazon Alexa, HD Radio at 101.1 FM HD2, and on the AM dial, 980 CKNW.